The reason the evangelical Christian has a high view of the Word of God, the reason we believe it's without error as it was originally given, we hold this view because Jesus held the same of the Old Testament scriptures. Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Outreach Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about how you can help us reach lost people around the world by raising up evangelists in every place. Or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about our missions fellowship here in Boise, Idaho. And now to God's Word. We're considering what Jesus taught about the Bible. We have noted first that he held all its historical accounts as true facts. From Adam to Abraham, from manna from the sky, or Jonah swallowed by a whale— Jesus reported it all as fact. And as we continue to consider today, he never undermined the authority of Scripture, but he did undermine those who added to it or took away from it. God gave the law in the Old Testament an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The reason God did that was because God was trying to restrict the retributive spirit in people. He was trying to say that the punishment has to fit the crime, that you can't go beyond in your response to a wrong that's been done to you, escalate what the other person has done in order to create this rolling escalation of retribution. So God was literally trying to restrain this selfish, sinful response to even injustice that rises up in people and individuals. So he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But it wasn't an equation that individuals were supposed to enact. Let me see, I lost an eye, let's go get his eye. We lost a tooth, let's go get one of his teeth. It wasn't an equation they were following. It was just something that was to limit the retributive spirit in them that they wouldn't go beyond that. It wasn't actually supposed to rule out, for example, exercises of mercy and expressions of forgiveness. They were simply principles of wisdom that were to guide and direct their life. This wasn't a codification of some law that they were to follow. Oh, he took a tooth, let's get another tooth. What the Jews made of it, taking God's word and the principles and the wisdom of God's word and turning them into codes that they would follow and then adding to their codes all the different human interpretations, they took this very thing that was supposed to limit men's retributive exercise and literally they taught it instead to be in a twisted form to pursue vengeance on others as if it was their duty to extract something from another person if they had taken anything from them. So the Lord Jesus commented on this passage saying in Matthew 5, 38 and 39, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. When Jesus did teach, by the way, he made sure that no one thought his teaching contradicted or diminished the scriptures. He said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 this, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot and one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The common refrain instead of the Lord Jesus denying scripture or projecting people away from the scripture was that he constantly projected him towards the scripture. He would say things like, have you not read? Or did you not read the scriptures? Or is it not written in your law? And when he spoke the law, he wasn't just speaking of the first five books of the Bible. It was just a word that he used for all of the Old Testament scriptures. Christ was constantly driving those he taught back upon the scriptures 
And as he did, he also made it clear that these words were not the words of men, but the words of God himself. So, for example, when Jesus is introducing an argument from the Psalms, Jesus will say, David himself said, by the Holy Spirit. And he's attributing the words of David to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 22, verses 29 and 31, Jesus began his correction of the Sadducees, who denied the resurrection. Before quoting scripture to them, he says this to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. In verse 31, But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And then, and then the Lord Jesus will go on to quote something that Moses wrote down. God said it. God spoke it. In the Lord Jesus' mind, this was God's word before it was ever Moses' word. So again, Jesus often referred to Scripture as the commandment of God or the word of God. And not just at some point, not just some overarching idea or concept. He didn't say it was the overarching truth and whatever meaning you could draw out of it. That's God's word for you. He actually said it was the things that were said. It was the very specific literal words that were God's as well. Not just the concepts, but the very specific words as well were God's words and they endured forever. And so... We've read one passage like this. Let me read you another one like it. Luke 16, 17. Jesus says this. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one tittle of the law to fail. A tittle was just a little accent point on a word. One tittle to be passed away. Everything was of God. Everything was binding. Everything was eternal. Many times the Lord Jesus would say things like, the scripture must be fulfilled. And when he said that, he was giving a sense of recognition of the force of God's word as something that was insurmountable and that set in motion an outcome that no one could resist because it was the word of the powerful, all-powerful, sovereign God over all of the outcomes of life. And Jesus himself spoke of his complete obedience and dependence to that word of God. He did not come to break or take away from God's word, but to fulfill it. Every command for mankind, Christ kept as the law of God for himself. Every prophecy of the Messiah, Christ fulfilled as God's will for himself. Take your Bibles for a moment and go to John chapter 10. I'm going to give you just a little example of the intense care that the Lord Jesus gave and the exalted view Christ had of even what you might see as a minor point in the word of God. John 10, verse 31 through 36. John 10, 31 through 36. Here's an account and some statements that the Lord Jesus makes that could be considered controversial or hard to understand, and yet they illustrate the point I want to make to you, that we have to submit ourselves to everything God says. The Jews are coming upon the Lord Jesus because he's made himself equal with the Father, and then the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them. Many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods? Now that's a quote from Psalm 82. Remember I said when he referred to the law that he wasn't just referring to the five books of the Torah. Here he's quoting from the Psalms. He says, does not God say in the law, I said you are gods. 
If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father set apart or sanctified and sent in the world that you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? And here the Lord is quoting Psalm 82, where God is pronouncing judgment on the corrupt leaders of the people. And there God calls these leaders gods in the sense that they are carrying out or administering or are, are to be administering his justice and his order over the people of Israel. And they fail to administer his justice and order, but to the extent that their office that they occupy is a reflection of the order and the rule and the command of God over the lives of the people, he refers to them as gods. We say small g gods. And actually in that same passage, he refers to them as sons of God, which is an indication that they were dear to him, that they were an extension, you might say, of his rule. Lord Jesus simply says, now listen, if God took these individuals that he put into some position of authority over the people and he calls them gods and he calls them because he holds the position they have as dear and valuable and an extension of his own power and his own life, he calls them sons of God. How can you then, and he says, and the scripture can't be broken. How can you then say I'm blaspheming because I say that I'm the son of God who God has sent and I'm the Messiah. And you say that I'm blaspheming because I say I'm the son of God. How can you say that? But the point is this that I want to make here. Here, the Lord Jesus takes a seemingly minor phrase that we might think is, well, that's kind of confusing. I don't exactly mean what that means. That we might just overlook because, well, I don't know how to answer that one. I don't know what that means. Jesus took the seemingly minor phrase that might be easily overlooked and says, you must honor every element of God's word. That none of these words are accidentally set in their place that all of them are important for our understanding and our lives. Christ was attentive to every word in the Bible, and we must be as well. There can't be any sloppiness about how we approach this word. You can't dismiss a word that you find in the Bible as something that's somehow culturally detached from your present hour. You have to find the principle of the truth in every line and consider it binding upon yourself. Jesus did. Over this very seemingly, the seemingly minor phrase, I said you are gods, Jesus says, the scripture is inviolable. It cannot be violated. It cannot be broken. It's binding upon you and your understanding and your thought. So again, I think our point here that we are making is that Jesus never spoke to deny or undermine any of the doctrines or teachings of the Old Testament and instead, he spoke of them as having ultimate authority over those he taught and over himself as well. Here's the third thing. Jesus never undermined any doctrine of the Old Testament, but he did bring that teaching to its fullest progression of meaning. He didn't undermine those teachings, but he brought them to the fullest progression of meaning. Christ is careful in the Sermon on the Mount to let those who he's speaking to and that are listening to him know that he's not turning away from God's expressed will in the Old Testament. Twice in that message, he speaks to them to reassure them that his purpose is not in any way to take away from anything that's written in these scriptures. In Matthew 5, 17, we've read it. He says, do not think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. In Matthew 7, 12, he goes on in that same sermon to again reassure them, saying, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He's now summarizing what he's been talking about. He said, look, the basic rule is 
In a sense, do unto others as you would have others do unto you, and this is the law, and this is the prophet. So I'm just telling you, I'm just giving you the full picture of what they spoke. I'm not undermining them anyway. Jesus is reassuring them that he's not turning the people away one iota, one jot, one tittle from the truth of the Old Testament scriptures. And yet what Christ does do is he expands the meaning of those scriptures. He claims them as God's word and then he claims that he gives them their fullest expression of intent and application. The Pharisees didn't go far enough. They were mistaken in that they added to the word, but what they added took away from the word. I'm not going to take away from the word. I'm going to build upon it. I'm going to bring you to its fullest meaning so that the righteousness that you need to bring forward is a righteousness that exceeds, he says, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So Christ takes the prohibition against murder, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he extends it all the way down into the thoughts of the heart and the words of the mouth. So he says, don't even call a person a fool. Don't be angry with a person without cause or you're going to be in danger of hellfire. And Christ extends the law prohibiting adultery. And he takes it all the way down to the heart and says, don't even look at a person with lust in your heart. Because if you do, it'd be better that you pluck your eye out than let yourself wander with that kind of attitude. Because it puts you in danger of hellfire. And on and on Christ will go to teach about forgiveness and mercy and love and selfless giving and selfless praying and Godward service all in the Sermon on the Mount and all from the starting point of the Old Testament but carried forward to their perfect intent before a holy God. Here is the fullness of all this and Jesus Christ is teaching it. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.